0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth. Hi, everyone. John Leahy with you and uh, delighted to have you along for the broadcast uh, today. And I hope you enjoyed last week's episode as uh, we were we had some uh, homemade music for you on the podcast to uh, celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I hope you had a a great St. Patrick's Day yourself. And uh, we're going to get back to talking some hockey today as the NCAA tournament is upon us as the uh, tournament will start with four regionals in four distinct uh, parts of the country. And joining us on the podcast today... Is a man who is uh, very synonymous with college hockey here in the New England area. Uh, he's uh, currently an analyst on the New England Sports Network for college hockey. He has done uh, also hockey on the radio for various uh, hockey schools such as UMass Lowell and Vermont. And uh, it's my distinct pleasure to bring in Jim Connolly to the uh, podcast here today. And uh, Jim, it's so great having you here.
1: Well, it's great to talk to you, John. Uh, you know, especially at this time of year, the national tournament is something that I. You know, you enjoy every one of us enjoy this is the best time of year for college hockey
0: indeed Jim and, and I'd like to you know get your thoughts on the upcoming tournament in just a little bit uh, but I, I thought I'd just start uh, by uh, talking a little bit about Hockey East and uh, we'll talk about the season that uh, just concluded in Hockey East really another strong year for the league you know I've heard people say well you know maybe it's a down year for hockey East but I didn't see it that way uh, certainly uh, there was a lot of strength from top to bottom and uh, it was fun particularly during those uh, final weeks leading up to the playoffs,
1: it was John, and You know, I, I I understand why people kind of were were worried about hockey and saying, "Oh, maybe it's not a good year for hockey." You know, I really think that instead of the top teams becoming just really strong and a lot better than everybody else in the country, you had the bottom of the league come up and become stronger than it's probably ever been in the past. Um, you know, the result of that. Uh, you know was was a precarious place that the league was in you know heading into the final weekend of the season knowing that they could maybe only have one or two teams in the national tournament which is kind of unprecedented you know three is kind of the the norm four and five is always the wish for how many teams you get into the ncaa tournament but you know the strength of the bottom of the league um you know really made it difficult you know you had teams at the bottom like vermont and maine and Even New Hampshire, which I thought would never be a bottom team. But um, you had those three teams pulling off wins against some really good tie-in teams in the league. Yeah, You know, Northeastern wins the regular season championship, but they lost to Vermont, you know, five days before the last game of the season, you know, yeah. so you you know that there was some parity, and I know that's kind of an overused word in college athletics and especially in, in hockey right now, but it real parody. And it was, you know, I thought pretty incredible to see um, how good the bottom was, but you know, at the same time, we saw it this past weekend at the, at the TD garden, the top was pretty darn strong too. And I think, you know, the, the kind of the cream always does rise as they say, um, Um, And UMass, you know, defending national champions, they seem like one of those teams I've talked about. There's a few teams in the league that I can usually say this about, but uh, UMass is kind of one of those teams that's just built for postseason hockey. Greg Carville gets his team playing their best, usually right around. End of the season, and boy, were they rolling this weekend. They get a great overtime win uh, over UConn in the championship game, and they'll go on to the national tournament. But you know, we saw some some great things in the league. I I just mentioned UConn, I think that was a great story as well. They had never won a postseason game 0 9 all time in the hockey's playoffs, and then the ability to come out, win their first game at home, sent them to the garden. Then they win their semifinal game in kind of an upset over the, the top seed Northeastern, and then they took a very good UMass team all the way to overtime and uh you know obviously it was heartbreak for for uh, the Huskies and Mike kavanaugh their their head coach but i think that they performed so well and the future is really bright for what they can do down there in stores
0: yeah absolutely plus they're getting the new arena down there so there's a lot to look forward to uh, down in stores but i'm curious jim uh, wh- wh- what 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 was the biggest surprise to you in hockey this season? Usually, you know, you have a team or two that might overachieve. Were there any teams that kind of left you saying, "Wow, that's they finished better than I thought they would"?
1: Yeah, I think UConn is certainly one. I I knew I'd seen that build coming for a while. I thought that Merrimack was probably one, but they had they kind of did sputter at the end. I, you know, they had a chance to finish in second place first place all the way to the final weekend of the regular season i think second place all the way to the final night they ended up in sixth, so maybe it it didn't feel as as improved as you thought but you know i, I think and you know, i think you can also point to umass lowell because you know they people had them picked for seventh uh, you know right. norm bay's end always seems to get his team going they end up tied for for second when all was said and done and, and you know if it wasn't for a goal with 9.5 seconds left for Northeastern on the final night of the regular season UMass Lowell would have been co-champions of the league so that was another team that was very much improved and you know they still have some some game to play they're going to they made the NCAA tournament um, so i think that's some that you, when you really think about the team that probably took the biggest step it's probably UMass Lowell but it's hard to say that's a big step when you you know that they've been to the guard well to the the hockey semifinals seven out of the last nine seasons it's just that after last season where they finished seventh they did make the semifinals again yeah but yep. you know they had some struggles last year and and i think people saw some of the, the players that they lost in the transfer portal and were really concerned about the riverhawks but you know norm bay's in is norm bay's in and he gets things done and ends up getting them you know, back to the Garden into a second-place finish and now back to another NCAA tournament.
0: Yeah, Jim, I think the argument with Lowell is that, you know, even though they were picked to finish seventh in Hockey East, uh, I I still – uh, figured them to be uh, to do well. I think a lot of people figured they were going to have a good season. So, I mean, in terms of the, the biggest surprise, maybe that you lose a couple of points on Lowell with that argument, but, but your point is well taken. But, you know, as someone who saw Merrimack play all season long, a, a team that was, you know, picked to finish down near the bottom of the league, uh, to turn that in, into a 19-win season and to be as competitive as they were, I think that's quite a feather in Scott Borick's cap.
1: Yeah, I would say, and he got the contract extension there and the lot right before the last weekend of the season. I think that'll uh, hopefully motivate him and keep him going. And and you know if they, he has to if if he can continue to bring in the same types of players that he he has and you know this was basically a three year build for this team. Um, you know I think the junior class of, of this year's team was just you know elite. And you know if you hold on to players, I think we know modern day that can be difficult uh, and then keep bringing in these players these players that want to just kind of play hard work hard get into the corners win pucks i thought that you know this this year's merrimack team was the fastest i've seen in in puck battles and puck possession they 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 really handled most of their opponents well throughout the season. But, you know, I think that that's part of experience, too. They've got to take that next step and, and get the experience where they're pulling off the wins and um, and even upsets in the postseason. You know, I think that I, Scott Borick is the right coach to do that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Well, let me, let me transition a little bit here and ask you uh, your thoughts on the tournament that was just uh, completed, the the hockey's tournament. You had uh, three first-round games, Merrimack defeating Maine, uh, Providence picked up a win uh, over Vermont uh, in that uh, first round. And uh, the other game was Boston College uh, in New Hampshire, BC, winning that in overtime. Then we had the quarterfinal final sites and uh, some great games also in the quarterfinal round. Uh, I'd just li- like to get your observations on the tournament from start to finish.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the biggest shocker for me was that in the first two rounds, it was chalk. You didn't have a single upset. You didn't have a single visiting team win because, you know, we've just been talking for, for five, six minutes about how good the league was top to bottom. I was really waiting for a team to come out of, say, eighth or ninth and get to the Garden. And it didn't happen. I, 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 you know, everybody that was the home team won the entire way until we got to the TD Garden and even there you know it was only northeastern was the only team that was favored and technically favored to lose a game in the tournament which to me that was a little crazy um but there was still some quality hockey um you know i got to call um two games with boston college um and i you know they were a team that came on really strong down the stretch getting jack mcdain finally healthy finally back in their lineup but really was a kind of a shot in the arm I think over the last I think it was six or eight games I can't remember exactly now off the top of my head but you know he was a player that was really fun to watch and uh, you know I thought that he kind of electrified those first two rounds of the playoffs and they ended up falling short in the quarterfinals um, you know but I, I thought that you know you saw some good really good performances um, out of you know, those first two rounds. And then once you got to the Garden, I think one of the greatest things was, you know, kind of the fact that this was the first tournament ever in the 38-year history where where you didn't have Boston College, Boston University, UNH, or Maine. None of those teams, those four perennial powerhouses from the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s, none of them made the Garden for the first time ever, which that that's just, it just shows that there's a, there can be new blood in the league and that it's not always the same, you know, same four teams, same five teams, same six teams. It's This is a league now that's showing itself to be good, you know, and, and you look at the changes that all of the teams that made the garden had, you know, all of them in the last 10 years have changed their head coach. Jerry, Jerry Keith, of course, he, he was, he's in his first year, but you know, all in the last decade or so have had a new head coach that, you know, there's been major changes and major upgrades in, the, in those four programs that made the garden. And I think that they put on a really, you know good product because you had fan bases that are not used to their teams you know some of those teams being in the garden connecticut for the first time umass for i think the just the third time ever those crowds were phenomenal at td garden this weekend and i thought that they brought a real energy to the building and energy to the tournament you know umass umass and UConn, you know, to put almost twelve thousand in there for a championship game. Uh, hockey certainly won the attendance battle in terms of the six leagues this weekend. They had the most at their games, but I, you know, it just it was a really entertaining tournament, and in the end, a very fitting, deserving team in UMass came out on top.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think what. With your point about attendance, I think we have to go back to the bean pot. You know, I was there for both the games of the bean pot. Fans missed the game so much, Jim, because of uh, COVID and all the restrictions. We, you know, we didn't have the tournament in Boston uh, last year. And so I think fans really wanted to be a part of this, both the bean pot and then the Hockey's Championships and, and now the upcoming Frozen Four. I think people missed the game so much that they were eager to get back. And it really showed. Yeah, you, and it even
1: went back to the the quarterfinal rounds so, at some buildings for the opening round. You know, I know Merrimack had a good home crowd. I think Lowell had almost you know six thousand for their their quarterfinal game. I think UMass had almost four thousand. Northeastern had a. I I was there. I don't know what the exact number was, but it was a real full building i don't think i've broadcast a game up in that second floor floor platform for nesson where i've actually had fans surrounding me before so <laughs> it was uh you know you could you could see you're right john fans really did miss they've missed a lot of things in sports and i think college hockey um you know once we got back in there in february we knew it would be good but you know i'll tell you all around the league i was in every building this year once at, le- at least except for vermont we we, we because of their construction, we weren't able to broadcast from Vermont this year. But the other ten buildings I was in their league, and even Holy Cross on the women's side I was in there. And every single building had some great crowds throughout the season. We, I had, I called an early season game, Boston College Northeastern, and they were sold out um, and loud, and the fans were into it. You know, it just it. This was a year where I know even just as a broadcast, you—you you, the, the spookiest thing I've ever probably gone through was calling games in empty buildings last
0: year. Absolutely. Where
1: a, a goal would go in and you would hear, you know, 15 guys tap their sticks on the bench. <laughs> that was
0: it. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's that's a creepy feeling after, you know, being in this business almost 30 years and, and having, you know, seen and heard some of these great crowds. So having that back was one of the most probably refreshing feelings to, to make, make me feel that, okay, COVID we're, we're maybe past you. <laughs> and I know it's something that may never go away, but at least the return return to some normalcy in sports, uh, that seems to be, right in front of us, and we enjoyed it this weekend.
0: Absolutely, Jim. Well, before we get into talking about the uh, four upcoming regionals, I have to get your opinion on uh, the overtime situation out in Mankato, Minnesota. Uh, what a situation that was. Minnesota scored. Minnesota State scored what they thought was the game-winning goal. Bemidji State uh, came out and asked for the officials to look at it. It, it involved the commissioner, uh, Don Lucia, as well. Uh, there was about a 40-minute uh delay while they were sorting it out. And then they called the teams back on the ice and Minnesota state wound up winning twice in one night. Jim, I don't think that's ever happened. I don't think it'll never happen again.
1: Well, let's hope it doesn't be, you know, um, I, I'll, I'll start with the fact that for the student athlete and the student athlete experience, I'm glad they got it right. Um, right. but for the process, um, the CCHA is their first year, um, And, you know, obviously there's always growing pains within any league, um, but they're going to have to really review their processes. But, you know, uh, you know, you've been around long enough since replay has been in, you know, and even this is something that has just changed probably over the last 10, 12 years. But every single goal is supposed to be looked at by an actual video replay official, not the referees on the ice, somebody that's sitting somewhere else in the building looking at the goal to say, yes, that puck went in. It's a legal goal if somebody looked at that goal from the from what angles they should have every every video review you need something that shows the goal line you need something overhead and you need something that probably shows the you know the opposite angle that those are the three kind of typical video review angles and the overhead if you look at it it was very clear in my opinion that the puck did not cross between the posts so that means it should have just been that should have been nailed Within two minutes, and I, you know, then to miss it, that's kind of the first domino in a long chain. Right. You didn't present the trophy, nobody realizes it. Frank Ser- uh, Tom Serratory, the Bowling Green High coach, he didn't know it himself. It was just his players that were in the stands. That happened to you know look at the goals goal on their their phones that was able to, you know alerted him when he got back to the locker room he then goes back on the ice the players from Minnesota State are still out there celebrating he finds Don Lucia. Don Lucia and now is you know kind of in this kind of panic because. Boy, we, we have pretty good evidence here that this puck did not go in the net. What do we do? And it was, then it was a decision making process. Um, and then there's some legalities to it. Were they really allowed to review at that point? The officials had left the ice. Right. I guess there is some, there's a section in the rule book that does say that if the, all of the players haven't left the ice, the game is still under the jurisdiction of the, the on ice officials. So maybe it would, would have been okay. All I can say is that we should be happy that Minnesota State won it again because the, the p- potential that we could have had lawsuits out of this, you know, it would have knocked Northeastern out of the tournament could Northeastern have sued, right? Uh, you know, for an injunction to hold up the tournament until a judge ruled whether that game should have been replayed or not, or that overtime period, you know, in the end, again, like I say, for the student athlete, I don't, I don't love when you have controversial endings, you know, from a student athlete standpoint, but we see it in sports, but you know, we NFC title game a few years ago, the past interference call that wasn't, you know, we've seen, you know, we go back to the Brett Hull goal in the, in the Stanley cup, which must've been somewhere around 1999, 2000 right, right. that ended the Stanley cup. You know, you don't want to see a championship decided on that. And I'm sure knowing, I know Mike casing's very well. And he's a, an absolute gentleman of the game. And he probably really didn't want to win the championship, you know, he he had nothing to gain from that game, so it would have been you know probably wouldn't have enjoyed not being the champion. But I think when when the decision was put to, we do it again. He was probably one that was fighting for let's just do it right because he didn't want to be crowned a champion and keep a Bemidji State team potentially out of the tournament on something that was such an egregiously wrong call.
0: Yeah, and I believe I read a report, Jim, where the officials had actually left the building, you know, and uh, they had that's, to be that's called back.
1: That's, that's been disputed from what I've seen.
0: Okay. And I would've
1: right. I would have been I would have been very surprised if they had because I know referees, they don't they don't fly out of a building, they shower, they you know, get back into their suits and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And the whole process started within about 15 minutes of the completion of the game, the actual knowledge of what had happened. So I think, th- I don't know if that was correct. Um, that, that it, you know, it, it, social media is not the the place to be finding out. Although right. social media was driving this whole process. I think that it was the fact that the goal was on Twitter first was why somebody even saw the original mistake and was able to point it out. So we're in a different time of media. I think this, you know, this is a goal that somebody might've found out on Monday morning didn't go in, but you know, we've seen it before. You can go back to the 2009 hockey East tournament where, um, the video review equipment wasn't working in hockey East and they didn't realize the puck was in the net in the championship game before the whistle had blown and the referee had lost sight of the puck, but you know, the the puck had clearly been in the net video review could have fixed that if they had access, but then the machine wasn't working that night. So there's, there's always, there's always these types of situations. I do, again, I'll, I'll go back to the, the first point. I do like for the student athletes that they can, Clear conscience, sit there and say we won the championship or we didn't win the championship.
0: Yep, and I think Don Lucia's uh, objective was to get it right. So you have to commend him for that in terms of the, uh, in spite of the controversialness of the decision, Jim. I'd like to move into the brackets uh, coming up, and uh, I guess we'll start in Allentown, and uh, one of the matchups there was going to feature Michigan taking on AIC. Michigan is the number one overall seed in the tournament, and uh, this is a team that is absolutely loaded, loaded with NHL draft picks, and uh, AIC winning the Atlantic Hockey Championship. AIC will not be intimidated in this game, Jim. They've been in this tournament before. They've had upset wins before. They had a, the big upset win over St. Cloud. Uh, so how do you break down this Michigan AIC game?
1: Well, I think you know, I, you just said it that AIC is not going to be a pushover even, even though they're a 16th team and they wouldn't have been in without the Atlantic Hockey Championship. Um, I think that when I look at AIC what I like about them is their age they're the oldest team in the, the entire country and they're going to take on one of the youngest teams in the country in Michigan does that mean that they're going to just push around the Wolverines though probably not they're going to have to slow them down uh, I look at AIC as a team that can't chase the game in this situation if they can get out to a lead though right. um, Eric Lang's team we saw it when they played in upset state cloud state I guess that's four years ago now um that it's possible we certainly understand that it can happen and you know what it needs for that to happen though is for AIC to play with the lead I don't see them able to come around this Michigan team is a little different than St. Cloud State you know I think that there's there's going to be a hunger in Michigan because I think they realize they've got they have a lot of special talent we know that the the, you know eight first or second round draft picks and uh, but the reality is is all eight of those might be gone at the end of this season so they realize that their time is now and I know Mel Pearson has probably been preaching that to this team since day one and they looked great I thought in the big 10 tournament in, in the way that they they got through that and won the title so I think Michigan will have a lot of hunger
0: Indeed. Michigan has won nine national titles. They haven't won it all since 1998. So uh, this should be a terrific hockey game. The other game in that regional gym is going to feature Quinnipiac, who's had a terrific year, 31-6-3. They're going to take on St. Cloud State. Quinnipiac is the eighth overall seed. St. Cloud State is the uh, tenth overall seed. Uh, Quinnipiac, um, sure, they were disappointed not uh, winning the ECAC championship. They lost uh, to Harvard despite a large uh, shot-on-goal disparity. But um, uh, St. Cloud State certainly battle tested. And uh, again, Jim, this should be a terrific hockey game.
1: It, it certainly should. And, you know, I think for Rand Peknald and his squad at Quinnipiac, you know, there's something about finishing the process now. They've had a dominant season. Um, and they, they build their team on defense um, and defense can win championships. We've seen it with, I think Minnesota Duluth, the last two national championships, they won their defense and goaltending was just phenomenal. Um, you, you don't get a lot of shots on net when you're, you're playing against Quinnipiac, you know, you're probably, I think they average only about 19 shots against per game, which is first in the nation. Um, I would say that, um, St. Cloud State has the ability to generate more offense, but I do know how good Quinnipiac is, and then you get the goaltender uh, Yanni Ferretz, in net for for Quinnipiac, who has you know basically shattered all of the goals against uh, records all time for the NCAA. He's, yeah. he's going to probably finish with the goals against below one, which has never happened before.
0: Yeah, he's at um, point point nine six now, Jim.
1: Yeah, so it's he's unless he gets shelled. Um, in their first game on Friday, I see him potentially having a chance to even lower that he's, he's been phenomenal. Um, but, you know, St. Cloud state, they are going to come in with the chip on their shoulder. They're an experienced team. They reached the national title game last year. They mowed down Boston university and Boston college and the regionals uh, a season ago. You know, I think that they can, they probably play in the most competitive league in the NCHC. They, they did not get out of the first round of their playoffs though. So, you think you're going to come in with some hunger. I talk about Michigan having something to prove they do as well, but so does Quinnipiac. Everybody is beating up Quinnipiac for, Oh, they've got these great stats, but they play in such a weak ECAC league. I know I've said it myself, um, you know, where you had, you know, five of the bottom team, 10 teams in the country came out of the ECAC this year. So I, I, I think that there's gonna be a lot for both of these teams to prove, and I think that whichever team can dictate, either St. Cloud with their high-speed offense or Quinnipiac with their lockdown defense, one of these teams will will play the game they want. that'll be the team that probably comes out on top.
0: You talk about lockdown defense, Jim. Quinnipiac has not allowed more than three goals in any game this year, and that is absolutely astounding. And you're right, uh, Peretz has been a big reason why. The Bobcats are where they are, so that that's going to be terrific. We'll move over to the regional in Albany, the one that you will be covering, Jim. And uh, let's start off with Minnesota State taking on Harvard. Minnesota State, what can you say about them? Thirty-five and five on the season. Uh, they've got uh, Dryden McKay in goal, who is uh, another. All world goaltender, and they're taking on a Harvard team. I wouldn't call them an upstart because they just knocked off Quinnipiac in overtime. Uh, Minnesota State should be the big favorite, Jim. Uh, but how do you say this? How do you see this one playing out?
1: Well, you know, Harvard. I think there, uh, there's a big story to Harvard that it's easy to overlook, and the fact that they had, you know, basically two classes—last year's freshman class and this year's freshman class—had never played a college hockey game. And I think they had to. Go through some bumps early, you know. They they uh, they I believe they started out with four wins and then they had took a loss to Northeastern and that kind of started a skid. And they weren't playing their best hockey until the the home stretch. And I thought they they closed well. Got a great uh, come from behind win in the the quarterfinals uh, against RPI. Uh, where they were down three goals with three and a half minutes left and tied it and then won it in overtime. And I think that has given them some momentum and believability. You know, I think we always talk about that in hot college hockey. Do you believe in your team? And they certainly do. And they have some really great players. Um, Farrell and Abruzzizzi, uh two of the best forwards in the country. Um, I think that both of them can be difference makers in games. Um, then on the other side, Minnesota State, you know, this is not the same Minnesota State team that has been the number one seed overall before and lost. This is not the same Minnesota state team that never won an NCAA tournament game until last year. These, these guys are more experienced They're They've been there. They've gotten to a frozen four. Now they got that monkey off their back. Um, in Mike Hastings, he has his team always playing confident, you know, but another team that probably feels like they have something to prove. There's not a lot of respect out there for the, new CCHA what was the WCHA um you know a lot of people say that there's not as much competition in that league and you know sometimes it's an easy ride but you've got to be good still and um Dryden McKay has been phenomenal for his entire career um and the fact that he came back this year I don't think he had to come back I think he had an NHL offer on the table so Uh, him returning i think he feels like there's something for that team to prove nathan smith has been one of the most consistent forwards uh, on any team this season so there's a lot of firepower there's a lot of ability there but you know harvard harvard I don't think is going in just happy to be there. They're going to probably want to try to get a win or two and return their their team to the Frozen Four for the first time since Chicago.
0: Yeah, you talk about how dominant McKay has been, rightly so. But Harvard goalie uh, Mitchell Gibson, he's had a terrific year, too. He shouldn't be overlooked. And he's an NHL draft pick of uh, the Washington Capitals as well.
1: In a good playoff run, you know, when you're playing well down the stretch. You know, I think he finished with 47 saves in that ECAC title game against Quinnipiac. And, you know, if you didn't know his name before that, you do now.
0: Absolutely, Jim. Let's take a look at the other matchup. Uh, two grand old programs uh, will be locking up in the other uh, Albany Regional game. North Dakota takes on Notre Dame. North Dakota twenty-four, thirteen, and one. They're the seventh overall seed. Notre Dame comes in as the ninth seed at twenty-seven and eleven. A pretty solid, consistent year for the Irish. And uh, with North Dakota, you certainly know what you're going to get as well. Another great game here.
1: Yeah, in in two legendary coaches, in Jeff Jackson with Notre Dame, and Bradbury. With North Dakota. They've both been around this game for a long time, both really intense men, uh, really great coaches. Um, You know, I think Notre Dame probably hasn't changed much from the Notre Dame team we knew in in Hockey East. They're, you know, they can lock you down if they get a lead on you, but they're not the best at chasing the game. So they don't want to fall behind, uh, especially a North Dakota team. But this year's North Dakota team at, at times has been really good, even dominant, but at times they, they're they're maybe not as consistent as you, you're used to from you know fighting hawks program that's just been there every year each and every year under brad berry um so i think that that you know that's the one big challenge that they're they're going through entering this tournament is you know can they give 60 minutes every night and i've talked to brad berry a little bit about it at times this year and he knows that that is has been an issue but you know they t- tend to be a team that is, is very all business when they get to the NCAA tournament, and we've seen them in a lot of Frozen Fours. I know, for Boston's sake, I'd love to see another North Dakota team in a Frozen Four, just because of the the dominance that their city and their brand brings to the city. And you you see the the, the bars are packed at eleven in the morning for a, a, you know an eight thirty game. That's that the, their their fan base is one of the best in the in the in the country. You know, in in college athletics, uh, I, so. it's it you're right john i think it should be a heck of a battle when you look at these two teams um but you know for both of them have their own game plans and i think both of them it really you know goes with giving yourself confidence and playing with the lead
0: absolutely and uh, notre dame will try and exploit the fact that uh, north dakota is going to be without their top defenseman jake sanderson he's been in and out of the lineup and uh He missed the game against Western Michigan. He's going to be out uh, also for this game against Notre Dame. We're talking with Jim Connolly, a longtime hockey writer and broadcaster. Jim will be in Albany uh, covering the NCAA tournament this weekend. Uh, My name is John Leahy, and this is airing it out files from Leahy's broadcast booth. Uh, Jim, let's bring it back locally here. We'll talk about the Worcester Regional here. Uh, The first game I'd like to discuss with you is the battle between Western Michigan and Northeastern. Western Michigan, a number one seed for the first time in. In it's history. Uh, they have never won an NCAA tournament game. They're 0-7. And if they're going to win their first, they're going to have to beat uh, probably the best goaltender in the land, Northeastern's Devin Levi.
1: Yeah, you know, you got to figure that Western should be favored in this. Uh, but the one X factor that I've been talking about since the, the brackets came out is Devin Levi and, and that he can steal games and Northeastern has gotten comfortable winning one to nothing games this year. They've been able to do it a few times and they've been in, you know, both sides of one, nothing decisions. So, um, I, if they're going to win, it's going to be low scoring, but Pat Firstweiler's team at Western boy, they have been a surprise to a lot of people this year, but a, a very pleasant surprise. And th- this is a team that I know is hungry. They know that this is a great opportunity that's in front of them. Uh, they've been consistent all season, um, they they unfortunately did not get the tournament title that they wanted in the NCHC. They were looking for their first ever, but uh, they still played well in that tournament and showed well. Got to the uh, got to the XL Center, which I think is always the goal of those NCHC programs. And I think that you know they should be th- the favorite here. But that that factor of Devin Levi and the fact that Northeastern does have some pretty good talent. They're still banged up. You still have a couple of their key guys out of the out of the lineup but you know if they can go in there and just play their game kind of lock it down play that good interior defense game and have Devin Levi make the saves he has to make they'll be a tougher team than most people are probably giving them credit for as the number 4 seed
0: Northeastern, Jim. They've been in the NCAA tournament seven times, but the only time they advanced was the first time they participated back in 1982. They won a total goal quarterfinal series before they dropped the national uh, semifinal to North Dakota. So, uh, in terms of uh, you know rooting for Hockey East and rooting for the local team, uh, certainly love to see Northeastern get the win there. Uh, the other matchup is an intriguing one, Jim. The Minnesota Golden Gophers 24-12 and 0 against UMass 22-12 and two. Minnesota's won five national titles, but they haven't won one since 2003. And uh, they take on a UMass team uh, that will be trying to repeat. And uh, both of these teams have deep, talented defensive cores. uh, And uh, it should be a terrific one. Let's get your thoughts on Minnesota UMass.
1: Well, I think this is the one that when the brackets were announced, I kind of circled. I said, oh, boy, this, this is a battle of big boys. You know, yep. you've got the defending national champion uh, against, uh, you know, a team with such a great tournament history um, and maybe the best team that they've had in a number of years. Um, you know, I, I look at both of them coming in off their, their turn, you know, conference tournaments, um, really good performances. You know, Minnesota just fell short in that Big Ten title game um so I I just look at there's so much talent up and down both of these rosters both have good goaltenders you know everybody talked about Jack LaFontaine but Justin Close has done a fantastic job since he had to take over the net when LaFontaine signed in the NHL uh, mid midway through this season so I I I look at you know kind of the you know what is on the ice between these two teams and it's probably the most overall talent that one single matchup is going to bring in this first round. So this is the game I'm I have my eye on the most and will enjoy being able to watch that, especially knowing that I'm working Friday, Saturday, and this is a, a, I'm sorry, I'm working Thursday, Saturday, and this is a Friday, Sunday regional. So I'll be, I'll be able to watch these games. And that one is one I will not miss.
0: Yeah. And Scott Morrow, boy, what a terrific year he's had, Jim. I had a chance to see him four times up close with UMass and Merrimack played four times. Uh, this kid uh, is a future NHLer and boy, is he a special player, isn't he?
1: He is, you know, I, I, you know, I've talked with Greg Carvel about him a lot, and I think he's he's learned that in Greg Carvel system, you can be a, a really good defensive, a, a really good offensive defenseman like a, a cal McCarr, but you better still play defense. He, you know, he joked early in the season. He, you know, he said this kid came in from Shattuck Saint Mary. They haven't played defense at Shattuck Saint Mary in the last fifty years, <laughs> so you know he's had to learn a lot. But, you know, talking with Greg throughout the season, he he feels that he's put in the effort and he's getting better on the defensive side of the puck. So that's what's most important for Morrow.
0: All right, Jim, there's one other regional that we'll discuss. That will be the one out west in Loveland, Colorado, which will be hosted by Denver. Uh, first game I'd like to get your thoughts on would be the Minnesota-Duluth-Michigan Tech game. Uh, Duluth 21-15-4, and Michigan Tech 21-12-3. and uh, They've met many times over the years. Uh, Duluth looking for a fifth consecutive Frozen Four appearance. Uh, what a run for uh, head coach Scott Sandlin. And uh, Michigan Tech... Was knocked off in the uh, CCHA uh, semifinals by Bemidji State, and so they'll be nice and rested. Uh, so let's get your thoughts on that one.
1: Well, this is the one, you know, court, uh, opening round game, you know, round of 16 game where I feel like there's a true heavy favorite. I think Duluth should be there. They're coming off the NCHC tournament where they're dominant. Um, their defense has begun locking down again they're playing the game that, that Scott Sandlin likes his team to play in uh, Michigan Tech, you know, they've, they've had some s- real good success this year, but also, you know, they haven't fared well against the, the better teams. They haven't had a win against anybody that's in the tournament this year. Um, one of only two teams in the field along with the AIC that didn't beat at least one of the 16 teams that's in the tournament. So that, you know, th- that kind of hangs over their head a little bit, but, you know, their coach, Joe Sean, I've talked to him earlier this year and I'll tell you, he is the one coach that kind of demands respect for his program and he knows he doesn't get it. So they, if there's one team that's going to enter this tournament with a chip on their shoulder, it's probably Michigan Tech. But you still should look at, you know, UMD and the the fact that they've been in four straight frozen fours, won two national championships, Um, and that they're playing the way that they like to play heading in. They, They should be the heavy favorite here.
0: And the other game in that bracket, Jim, uh, we have a Hockey East representative in that other uh, game, the UMass Lowell Riverhawks, with a record of 21-10-3. They'll take on Denver, 27-9-1. Uh, Denver's won eight national championships in its history. Lowell is trying to get back, is back in the tournament for the first time since 2017. What an interesting contrast this is, Jim. Uh, Denver still has what many would consider the most potent offense in the country. Bobby Brink leads the way. And, of course, Lowell, well-known for their defense and their lockdown style how do you break down this denver lowell game and what are the riverhawks going to have to do to be successful in this one
1: well you you just said it right there you know this is you know kind of that you know unstoppable force and the immovable object and and you've you've got you know a, a really good offense in denver that can get up and down the ice um you know but i know that i've heard coaches refer to the games out West and the big 10 and the NCHC sometimes is, you know, you know, two teams playing shinny where there's not a lot of hard checking. There's not a lot of defense and Denver's. If they haven't had a lot of that this season, heavy hockey, they're going to get that from the river Hawks. And, you know, Low Lowell's struggle will be to score goals. And if they can score some goals, they get confidence and they play really well when pucks start popping in the net. And I think that if they can exploit Denver a little defensively, they can lock them down. And I think, you know, another team we talk about chip on their shoulder. I think that they, you know, they probably felt a little disrespected by being sent out west. The the committee and talking with Mike Kemp on Sunday night the chair of the committee really wanted to keep the bracket integrity where the first number 1 overall played 16, 2 played 15, and 3 played 14, 4 played 13. Um if to, to in doing that you end up with lowell out in loveland and i think that lowell you know knows that of the three eastern conferences they have the highest annual attendance uh, this season you know and they wanted to be able to play in worcester for their fans instead of northeastern that'll be there and i think that that probably knowing norm bay's in is something that he's already played up to his team um but i also know that he he tends to like being on on road trips and he says that you take distractions out there's no no girlfriends there's no family you know begging you for tickets and you don't have you know friends looking for tickets and all of that sort of stuff and you worry more about that sometimes as a player than you do about playing the game so I know that getting away from the campus is not something that Norm Bazin is sitting there saying this is awful he's ha- he'll, he'll probably be somewhat happy they do have a late start time but it's seven o'clock local time start time so it's going to be kind of a normal game day for them at least for the the opening round game and I wouldn't be surprised. They could pull off this upset, but this would be probably, uh, you know, one of the two biggest number four over number one upsets out there.
0: Jim, one of the unique things about uh, the tournament this year is there is a day off in between games. So you're going to have either Thursday, Saturday or Friday, Sunday, depending on where you are. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a good idea?
1: You know, it's fair. It's fair for the student athlete. You know, we, we saw it last year, you know, it was, it was a regional final and not a uh, regional semifinal game, but the five overtime game between Minnesota Duluth and, and uh, uh, North Dakota last year, if, if there was, if somebody had to play a game the next day after that, it would have been very unfair. Um, so I think that it's something that's been talked about for a long time and finally implemented I think that game last year really kind of put it over the edge that it was something had to be done. And, um, I think it's good. I I'm not sure the fans are going to like it. If you're traveling to a region, you get an extra night hotel, um, games are being split out so that they can stagger it for TV so that you don't have overlapping games. Um, As you've had in the past and you've had to push, you know, games onto the ESPN three platform, which I know gets a lot of uh, poor reviews. So you're going to have some spread out start times of 12 and six and three and nine or one and seven. And yeah, you know, 12 and five or something in there. So they're not the most convenient start times for the fans. We'll see where, what happens. We'll see what the feedback is after year one, but in terms of just giving the teams a day off, The teams, the coaches, the players, and that's really what this tournament's about. They're going to love this.
0: Absolutely, Jim. Well, uh, before I let you go, uh, the Hobie Baker Award will be presented in Boston on Friday in between the national semifinal and the national championship. Uh, As always, it's a crowded field. Uh, Any predictions on who you think might win it?
1: Well, I'll tell you, if, if a goaltender doesn't win it this year, then a goaltender is never going to win it again. Um, because we've right, seen, right. everybody always says, well, you've got to be better than Ryan Miller was when he won it back in the mid, you know, early 2000s. And, um, you know, th- that's a fair standard, but almost all of these goaltenders have put up better numbers than Miller did in that season. Um, so I think that if you're not going to give it this year, you might never, but the fact that you have three goaltenders that are in the final 10, they might split the vote as well. Um, I think Bobby Brink probably should be one of the favorites. I think you should be considering Bobby Trevino. I know I'm, a, I'm one of the voters on the award, and I, he'll be one guy that's somewhere in my top five ballot um, because he's been fantastic for UMass down the stretch. Um, but there's plenty of guys in there. Um, everybody that's in the top ten, you know, Nathan Smith has had a great year. And I, I, I also wonder, there's a lot of guys in this that went over to the Olympics, Um, I wonder how much the Olympic games, not just the college games, but maybe some of the Olympic games might be taken into consideration. So that's a a little X factor, but, uh, you know, I feel like it should be a goaltender, but I don't expect it to be.
0: Great stuff, Jim. How can people uh, tune into the regional you'll be working this weekend?
1: Well, all of our content, uscho.com. If you want to read stuff, I'll be working in the booth with – Uh, Ben Holden and Dave Starman helping them with their stats and uh, moving through their games, so hopefully they can enjoy those guys. They are two one of the two of the best broadcasters in the game, and ESPN. They'll have some great coverage of this region all weekend on on both ESPNU and ESPN News.
0: Yeah, in fact, uh, the semifinals are going to be uh, 12 noon on Thursday on ESPNU, and then six o'clock on ESPNU. The final will be uh, Saturday at four o'clock, also on ESPNU. So, uh, Jim, I can't thank you enough for being here. Such great content, uh, great. Uh, great action-packed stuff. Have a safe trip over to Albany. Enjoy, and uh, we will catch up with you down the road.
1: All right. Thanks very much, John.
0: All right. He's Jim Connolly, longtime hockey writer and broadcaster working for Ness, and he'll be working the upcoming uh, tournament in Albany. We invite you to stay with us next week. We'll have more on the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. <laughs> Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells, and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.